This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greetings, constant listeners. It's your boy, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. Now you're probably wondering, Mike, what's up? Why aren't we on the mile? Well, look, we're bumping things back a bit. So expect to hear our full dissection of Frank Darabont's The Green Mile next week. But here's the good news. What you're about to hear is our four-part rewatch of Mick Garris's The Stand, which we recorded way, way back in April and May. You know, when the pandemic just started and we had no clue what was in store for us. Here's the thing, though. While we shared the first part with you, the three other chapters were exclusive to the Barons, our Patreon page. Now, in anticipation of CBS All Access's new miniseries, The Stand, and really because this is the season of giving, we've decided to unlock all four just for you. My Life for You? Yes, our four-part miniseries, Just for You. Consider it an extra-long sweet treat that will keep you entertained for a few long days and maybe even a few pleasant nights. Happy holidays. And please, for the love of God, wear a mask. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. All in the name of hope. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Ratman Colburn, and uh, today we are here to discuss part four of The Stand uh, in our ongoing rewatch of the 1994 miniseries. Um, This was to celebrate uh, the quarantine and the pandemic. Uh, Is celebrate the wrong word? Uh, To perhaps... (laughs) To perhaps, uh, uh, you know, humble ourselves before the quarantine. We started this four weeks ago when we were in quarantine, and it's four, oh wait, and more than four weeks ago. Not, oh, yeah. Like what? It was six it was, weeks ago? Be, yeah, seven, it was about six seven, weeks. And, oh, six. Well, we timed seven. it out perfectly because it's all over, everyone's back, and the world is at <laughs> peace. Yeah, everyone's back. No, it's funny. I'll talk to my therapist. Like, I remember when my therapist and I were do- first doing like telehealth conferencing and uh, and she was like, well, because we see each other every two weeks. And she's like, well, hopefully in two weeks we'll be able to see each other again. Like when it first started, and I was like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and now it's like months later. <laughs> We're still yeah. doing did, it. Did you go? Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you there. <laughs> uh, hey, you should try out um, very open. Um, God, just, just do, let's just do happy Gilmore quotes for an hour and a half. Just the whole movie. That could be a mini-sode, maybe. That would be fun. Um, 
Speaking of, this is a Patreon-exclusive episode, so if you're listening, thank you so much for being a Patreon subscriber. It is so humbling and so nice of you to do that. We are we are very grateful for that, and uh, we hope that you enjoy this fresh content that we have for you. Uh, before we leap into our final thoughts, our final, final, final thoughts on part four of The Stand, the 1994 miniseries, I'm going to keep saying it, uh, <laughs> let's go around and introduce ourselves. Mike, why don't you start? Well, this is, uh, as you mentioned, Michael Matt Frewer as Trash Can Man <laughs> Rothman. Um, big episode for me. Uh, I'm coming back from the missile silo, and let's just say my skin is uh, taking on uh, quite an uh, unhealthy color. Uh, so, yeah, having fun here yeah. in, uh, in Vegas, but otherwise... Glad you've really committed to this character. I know, I really have. And he's one of my least favorite characters. (laughs) I don't know why I picked him. but um, Interesting. I want to talk about that. Uh, Who's joining us from the great state of Texas? Uh, This is Dan Dorgan, as in Barry Dorgan, (laughs) chief of Santa Monica Police. And uh, when I was... When I, when I when I was on the force, I knew I knew what guys like you did to the world, or whatever he says to Glenn Bateman. I'm, and I I guess we get all the characters with the similar last names. Like heck, was it Heck Drogan? Barry yeah, Dorgan, Heck Drogan and Barry Dorgan. Whitney, yeah, Whitney, and Whitney Horgan, right? But we oh don't, yeah. Um, but we don't get to hear. I think the only last name we get to hear is Barry Dorgan. So we don't or Drogan, or I can't remember what it is now. Um, well, so we don't get that that great rhyming. <laughs> that I, I love I love Barry Dorgan in this because he's played by Chuck Adamson, who you might uh, recognize him in. Uh, he was best known for Crime Story, uh, which is uh, he won an actual People's Choice Award for that, and he was also in Miami Vice and Heat, and that those are all Michael Mann uh, productions. So who is um, he in in Heat? Uh, he plays. Uh, te- he was a technical oh, advisor. Actually, he's not in it. He was a. He was an advisor. So, he was oh, an he actual. Made, he, he was a real police officer in real life with the Chicago Police Department. So he yeah, seems he, like it. It's funny yeah. that they have him in the stand be from Santa Monica because like this is like a total Chicago dude. Oh, like, absolutely. As soon as he hear him, meet him. So yeah, yeah. Uh, get out that boardwalk. Uh, and then who else is joining <laughs> us from Chicago? Hey, this is Dan, the Hand of God. <laughs> so many I love it. Um, My favorite scene in the series. Yes. So we've. Psych. So in previous episodes, we've all talked about our first encounters with the stand. So I think it's helpful. I think it's okay for us to just kind of dive right in here. Uh, This is part four. It is called The Stand. And um, basically, I guess, like, we begin with Harold and Nadine. Uh, and sort of, uh, you know, Harold's demise. We follow Glenn, Larry, Stu, and uh, Ralph as they walk towards Vegas, and we also, and then we culminate in Vegas with um, uh, the big showdown with Randall Flag and um, the bolt, the 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 members of the Boulder Free Zone who make it there, and then it all culminates on stage uh, in some sort of weird BDSM ritual uh, that they're going to use to murder our fair heroes, and uh, and then Trash Can Man blows everything up with a bomb uh, for some reason, and then um, they make it back to the Boulder Free Zone, and Stephen King goes, "It's Stu, it's Stu." It's Stu! And Uh. then uh, we find out that Franny's baby uh, was born with the flu, but overcomes it. And then the the weird uh, ghostly face of Mother Abigail (laughs) hovers over the baby. um, Which the dog, Kojak, recognizes. 
Yeah, and the little boy. <laughs> isn't, yeah. she, isn't she, like, cooing at the baby, too? Like, yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> What's so funny about it is that, she, like, the way it's framed, she's not even looking at the baby. So. But then, like, Joe the kid <laughs> makes almost, like, like Sammy pointed this out yesterday. It was like, he almost, like, like sounds like a chimp. Like, whoo. Like when he, well, like, yeah, I mean, that's how the character is introduced, like in the book and in the series is like he's feral. Yeah. But the whole implication is that is like once he gets to we talked about this in the last episode, which is like once him and Larry arrive in Boulder, they're both suddenly better. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just they're happy now. They're healed. And like the kid speaks like uh, he says like Mother Abigail. So the fact that he's back to hooing and chimping at the end is a little bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I need some prunes. <laughs> Give that baby some prunes. Uh, uh, so uh, let, why don't we just kind of go around and say what we remember about kind of the end of the stand? Like was when you were a kid, did you really love the ending or did you think it was kind of uh, bizarre even back then? I'll start just to kind of set the, the template here. I used to think the ending of this was so cool. Like mm-hmm. I used to think sort of the massive crowd, uh, the fact that their limbs were going to get ripped off, uh, just this whole sort of like huge ceremony with Randall flag and then trash can man showing up and this whole kind of convergence of all of our characters. And I remember being very moved by, uh, uh, by Larry and Ralph standing tall and strong at the end. And, and uh, you know, and I remember thinking it was so cool and the bomb going off. It's like, oh, this is so epic and cool. Uh, and I, I still like it in the book too, but I, you know, you gotta, I gotta say the hand of God uh, sequence, it doesn't quite land like it did when I was young. So well, how about you guys? Yeah, uh, it was a, a similar thing. I, I, I remember feeling intense relief at the end of it because it, it's, it gets, I mean, it gets so stressful at a certain point. You see most of the main characters die. And I remember feeling so elated at the happy ending. And they do that montage where they show everyone who's died. I remember being really, like, emotionally moved by that as a kid. Same. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I And I don't know. The, yeah, the Hand of God in the book isn't my favorite part, but it's handled with a lot more nuance and ambiguity in the book, which I appreciate. Yeah, where, yeah. I mean, we've, we've we'll talk about that. that yeah. this, this is just, like... In case, and even when it comes out, you go, I mean, it's just some weird light. They're not like, oh, no, a hand is actually going around the missile. Um, yeah, and it definitely hasn't hasn't aged well. I like a lot of the other stuff in the episode uh, that, we'll, that we'll talk about. Yeah, but the very ending just doesn't um, super land for me. But I don't know. That, the, regardless, this Macy's still kind of goes down like candy for me because I've seen it so many times, you know? So I still yeah. enjoy spending time with it. Yeah, what about uh, Flieger and Michael, what about you guys? Um, yeah, I... I remember wanting Vegas to be more like hedonistic. Um, you know, they they hint that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but I could have used more. But I remember being young, and it came back to me when I we watched it. Uh, the Dana Jurgens, you know, the, the yeah. undercover agent that's sent with Lloyd. Like she is so pretty, and there's a scene where they're like, you need to get dressed in front of all of us. And I think Julie is like, yeah, make her like get naked and dressed in front of us. And as a little kid, I was like, all right, now this is the Vegas. <laughs> I, um, but no, I, I just think she's like so pretty in like the dress she wears. And when she confronts flag, I thought that scene was great, but yeah, I think the, I was a little let down by it, but still happy overall with the movie. You mean now or when you were a kid? I think it persisted. Even when I was a kid, I just wanted more of like uh like hellish environment uh-huh. and instead it just seemed like kind of when they would film like 
Pleasure Island at mm. Disney, like whenever you try to film a <laughs> dance club at night. That's kind of what Vegas felt like to me. Yeah. Um, Mike, how about you? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I've always, there are a lot of parts of this, uh, this chapter that has stuck with me over the years. I, the idea that Stu is left behind with the dog really didn't sit well with me as a kid. Um, and especially like I used to, I'm a huge fan of like, um, like peripheral set designs. And, uh, you know, like it's so not to go off too much on a tangent, but like even in video games, like when you play like Mortal Kombat or Primal Rage, like I was obsessed with like the actual levels, like, you know, in one level of uh, Mortal Kombat, you see like this weird house in the middle of like the forest and the way back on you. I always be like, who's in that house or like. Um, in Primal Rage, you'd like see buildings that were crushed and I'd be like, oh, what, what city are they in? And like, who are these people? Were they former like Wall Street people or whatever? And there's like little like details of that. So like when Stu's Wait, there. Primal Rage? Weren't they all dinosaurs? No. Well, there they are also cave people. They're dwellers oh. on, on, the, on the ground. There, and they're there's like, like cyborgs and uh, yeah, it's really weird. Types. But like in this, when Stu's there and like you see like the kind of beat down car and everything and you get really sense of like just how far removed the world is at that point and like how like the whatever normalcy um that's left behind is really that just left behind um and i really love that part in the book with you know obviously with um with tom and Stu, and so there are little things like that um and especially even like seeing the the guy that's like hung on the billboard when they're walking um just as a kid that really stuck with me and we've talked about it on the book episode and even on the movie episode about how like this was like one of the first times we got to see like a lot of post-apocalyptic uh, storytelling going down. And I feel like this yeah. chapter really hammers that because obviously this is the furthest removed from when society crumbled. Um, so there's lots of stuff in that I, I really appreciate, but man, yeah, like what everyone's already said, like the, the sort of more sensational uh, stuff that happens is exactly that sensational. I mean like the, the effects in Vegas are awful. Just, the hand is bad and like the, the kind of rewrite of that is, is, is just really cheesy and feeds into the sort of like uh, Christian overtones. I've been kind of hammering about all this, this entire rewatch and yeah, we'll um, have a whole section on that. And like, even with just like what Flea was saying with like Dana, like, I mean, I, I do think that the scenes are pretty good and I, and I actually really do love uh, the performances if you know, like Miguel Ferrer and, um, and Oh God, what's uh, who does. Play? Oh yeah. Uh, in a uh, Kelly Overbay, but the problem is, is that just like the way it's all dressed in these scenes, it does feel like I mentioned Mortal Kombat, the video game, but like the movie Mortal Kombat Annihilation, like when Nadine's like standing at the balcony and she's just like going to kill herself, like her hair and everything. She looks like literally like um, like Melina's mom and like uh, or like uh, <laughs> I love that you're really sticking to Mortal Kombat. Here. I am. I am. But like I like what's her name? Is, is it Cylindrel? Uh, C- Cylindrel? Um, like. Flea, oh, played, yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking Flea, about. You played Mortal Kombat. It's it's yeah, like the mother of, um, Katri- of uh, Katrina and like Melina, like um, Cylindel or Cylindrel. Yeah. So over the top. And like even Sammy was remarking like we were watching last night, like. Flag is so much more affecting when he's just like flag himself with like the black eyes. And then like when he becomes yeah. the monster, it just came so like over the top. So it's like the grounded parts that surprisingly as a kid really stuck with me and still do now. So that's what I love about this chapter. Um, yeah. When I think about sort of the, the images that lasted with me, um, I actually do think a lot about like, cause you bring up sort of, I agree with you that black eyes flag is the scariest flag. Yeah. By far. Like, but um, but I will say, like, I I kind of like, like, because you earlier in it, you see his face change. Like, you mm-hmm. see it, like, mold, like, liquid and everything. And I think that effect still is a little bit kind of cool. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's not, it's, it's still dated, but I still kind of like it. But the part, the thing that I always like in movies and, um, and TV and stuff is, like, 
is when a major change happens and we don't see it and the camera cuts to it and suddenly it happens. And I'll, I'll always mm-hmm. say that I've always been very unnerved by the moment on stage when like things start falling apart in Vegas at the end and they cut to flag and he's transformed into the demon again, but you don't actually see it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still find that kind of weird because to me stuff that happens off camera that when you cut back to it and it's suddenly there is always sort of like, you can call that sort of a, an inconsistent moment. Like I think that's one read of it, but that's always been very spooky to me. I might've talked about this in the pod before, but I always say like one of the, the freakiest things I've, I've ever seen. Um, even though I don't like this movie, but the movie only God forgives the Nicholas winding Ruffin movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a scene when Ryan Gosling is talking to, I think his mother. Um, and, Every time the camera cuts to her, she's, like, in different parts of the room, but you never see her move. And that's really spooky to me. Like, I find that really unnerving. Like, the idea that somebody's moving off camera, then sort of, you know, and it's a Lynchian thing, too. And and so, I don't know. I will say that even when I watched it, like, having seen it a hundred times and... Uh, and and preferring black eyed flag or just normal flag to demon flag, which is very cartoony. Um, that moment when they cut to him and he's changed and he's like heaving breath, you know, it's mm-hmm. still to me an affecting moment. And I think part of it has to do is I actually really love sort of the score during that whole climax. Like, um, I think it's actually it's a little bit, you know, cheesy maybe, but I, I kind of like how big it is and the stakes of it. And like, it's uh, very ominous and you can feel the doom See. sort of closing in. I, I feel like just in terms of Flag's face, because um, there's a weird effect where, like, you can tell they keep the camera steady so that they can do the mutation. Yeah. And if you guys have seen Highlander 2, there's that fight with the twins where they, like, zoom in on their face while they're flying. It always reminded me, I don't know, of that effect, <laughs> if anyone can recall that. Um, but, no, I, yeah. I agree. I think Black Eyed Flag is more affecting. Um the mutation sequence, it, I, I maybe it would have been better if it sort of happened off camera or in the shadows. Um, but yeah, still, still cool though, still scary. Yeah, I think um, I don't know. I'm t- like, there's a few other moments that have always stuck with me, and I think it's because I I found, and you know, I've talked about this in the pod before, but I've always I've always been fairly uh, impacted by like Harold's journey, and I've talked about this, but I think sort of the culmination of it that we see here, I actually think it's handled pretty well. Um, I absolutely love the way he flies off his bike. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that stunt is actually pretty cool because like he flies like I don't know, and like you. S- the fact that he's like hovering in the air for so long and the, just the idea that he would land like on the rock and tumble down. It's like so painful to think about, you know, what would have happened to him and everything. And, and I just, I find that, but I find his whole arc like as the Patsy uh, to be very affecting. And it's, and it's something that has been very, um, that is sort of weaved into the way that I view character archetypes and things like that, just in my own preferences and, and stuff like uh, the idea I, of the I have character. A qu- who... I have a question. Oh, wait, you, go, um, you go, Mike. Yeah. No, no, for you about this okay. um, that I was thinking about after watching it. Um, now, uh, I've seen this movie so many times, but I don't know why this didn't occur to me. But like, do we think because Nadine has the child in uh, with her and then she kills herself that she's redeemed in ways that Harold is just ultimately truly damned. Like Harold seemingly doesn't even really do it for flag. Like he does it for himself. Yeah. And so it's and like, I think though, I did because in the, in the, I don't know, because in the, and you see more of this in the book, he has intense remorse and he thinks about writing this letter that still kind of absolves himself of blame, but then he decides not to. And he actually just admits that he did everything and he feels really sorry for it. And we see him write something in this, don't we? 
or not. He I says, I was misled. Mm-hmm. I think he says yeah, in the that's, book. That's even shifting the blame. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the book, he thinks he's going to say, I, I was misled. But instead, he pivots and he and he. Yeah, so I feel like maybe in this one, he he is a little bit more uh, more hopeless. I guess no, no, it always cracks me up though, and I, and I agree with you guys. Like I was gonna, I was actually gonna ask you about that, Randall, because I know I know you and I don't always see eye to eye on Mister Nemec's performance, <laughs> but uh, I was gonna ask if you think that his end is effective because yeah, I, I think it is, even aside from everything else. Yeah. But, um, the the thing I think is so funny on that part is where Stu feels the inside of his mouth and he's like. <laughs> gun oil and i'm like wait how do you know what gun oil tastes like like it's just like a funny like what did you fall into like a vat of gun oil when you were a kid yeah i know i hate that scene i think when we first covered it you posted a clip of that to our socials of like Stu just like oh like oh yeah because i think i took i think i took like a video of it on my phone um like as we were watching it yeah like it's that whole sequence but, is really bizarre to me, and I, I hate this whole concept that like of characters like psychically reacting to things. Like, what was I just watching? Was it Westworld or no? I don't know. It's like this that whole concept of of like why is this person suddenly having like why are Stu and Harold psychically connected? Like, mm-hmm. why would Stu feel that way? Like King King. Uh, King oh, that I know man. exactly. Oh, yeah, I, I know exactly. In- in Westworld, what you're talking about, Randall, because there's a scene where someone's like, oh, I think they're dead. And it's like, wait, you're, you're psychically connected to this yes, person now? Yes, exactly. Wait, what were you saying, Caffrey? No, I was just thinking about, King loves the kind of psychic connection stuff. I mean, in the book, too, he goes so much more far into the dreams. I keep thinking of, I don't, I don't think I was on this episode of It, but in the book, It, where they all join hands and they, like, reinstate their bond and they feel the power go through them. And I, I think he talks about... about their hips all jerking into orgasm, like they like he talks about like be, like Bev's hips like jerking twice. It's like it's so funny to me. He gets really into that mystical telekinetic bond kind of kind of thing. Yeah, but bond. and like and I know that that doesn't happen in the book. Um, like the psychic connection between them two, but I just feel and then I feel like I don't know. There's a part of me that I sort of say fuck you to stew a little i don't know even though he's right because like like harold (laughs) is harold harold you know did fuck up and is the villain and uh but the way that stew is just like when he's like it's harold he's dead gun oil in my mouth and then he's just like may god have mercy or on his poor excuse for a soul and it's like (laughs) it's like so mean but i get i get it dude he like killed everybody and he's bad but it's like it's like it's it, it just like it's like fuck you Stu you're not perfect you know which is sort of a a funny moment I don't know well, but it's it, like it, I will it, say it I actually I actually I think like part it. of the reason that I've that I've I've always been partial to Harold is because not only do I think his arc is interesting and unique, uh, especially in kind of larger I don't know just larger literary canon. I I love to read about these kind of characters who like you know he's Rodrigo and Othello. You know it's like this um, this hapless character with selfish intentions who ends up being used um, by a greater evil and then cast aside. It's it's mm-hmm. it's an archetype I think is really fascinating and it um, and. Uh, and so I, I feel like it's handled really well in the book. And then also I think the end is handled really well in the movie. So I do think that Harold's end, and I think Corin Nemec does do a, a pretty good job here. Um, I, I will say I sort of hate um, 
and this uh, we were talking about black eyed flag i hate feather flag because uh, yeah. <laughs> like when he transforms from the bird into him and to show that they, they put little black feathers in his hair i think it, it's just really so unnecessary like yeah all you needed are the black eyes to really convey the fact that oh yeah this guy's a shape-shifting evil person you know you don't i have know to... it's so it's so silly when well, uh also, like, too, they, yeah. they don't do it would be one thing if they had like a bunch of feathers like shaking off of him or something but it's like three little little like prop feathers in his hair right so right like, well but I, yeah, it, the, yeah to go back to, go, to harold there a second do we think that he was even like really truly directed by anyone other than his own sort of um anxieties and uh like inhibitions do you think like i mean like yeah i mean i feel like he he never really talks about like the fact that he was um you know he was getting these dreams or whatnot like he just seems to be like acting out of um his own like incel like behavior you know and so i wonder like did he just die by his own sins and like the devil, even the devil's like, eh, yeah, you're a fucking poor sap who's going to be stuck in the Yeah, level. I think I think it was a, it's a deadly sin, right? Lust mm-hmm. and also pride, envy. He committed quite a few. And uh, I actually heard that his first note, rather than I was led astray, was he was going to put, didn't matter, have sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. But I, I do I, think he, he was a horny young man. And that's, you know, that's definitely an evil that the devil can tempt you with. And I, I think he was sympathetic but once he started being really mean to nadine like he was kind of yelling at her when he was crafting the bomb i think that's when he lost me because i was like he's being he's yelling at her for no reason yeah it's uh i think he's i think it's 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 a it's an interesting arc that is dulled somewhat by i mean dulled a lot by the adaptation but not entirely and there is like enough nuance in his arc that i do think it's handled i don't know as well as it could probably be and i like that they don't give us like like they allow him to have his like i'll say this about Stu's comment like i it's I w- i'd much rather you know uh they show harold sort of reckoning with his own choices but then also never being given the chance to be forgiven because i think that especially on network tv back then they probably would have been like well you know we should give him his ending shouldn't be this depressing you know and so i kind of give him credit for at least like not giving his character like any redemption which Mm -hmm. is is a very kingian thing that i've always enjoyed um and because it's lonelier that way and it's sadder and then yeah but you bring up nadine mike and the whole concept of like is there a harold and the fact that she, you know, commits suicide with Flag's baby in her belly. And of course, this is raises uh, icky questions about babies, <laughs> even if it's yeah. the devil's baby. But, um, but, you know, I do think that it's a moment of rebellion. But the problem, I think, is that it's all framed just through Larry and mm-hmm. this whole, like, romance that never really developed uh and especially after larry like just totally shamed her in the last mm-hmm. one uh for basically making herself vulnerable to him uh because he's like i'm married now bitch um and so <laughs> I, I actually wondered that like rereading the book i'm like yeah man i mean he could have had sex with her to like say to like save her soul i mean i don't know maybe i get i get i get that how that would cause problems with lucy but like in the book, I'm like, oh man, if, he, if Larry just had sex with Nadine, like none of that stuff would have happened, bro. I know, but then oh, yeah. like they, he would ruin his really awesome, uh, you know, well-explained relationship with uh, Lucy and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one that magically, the one that magically gets all the leather off his body or whatever. Like he yeah. just suddenly yeah. dresses like a like a midwesterner. He, um, he looks like a character in like Indy in the cupboard or something like that. Like you know, like oh look, you <laughs> know, he, he unlocked cupboard. one of his action figures. Awesome. <laughs> 
I, I just, I hate it. Like, cause like, even at the end when they're at the hospital, like the hospital, you're like, all right, we're, we're the characters that really matter right now. And then she comes walking up with her like weird kid. And it's just like, oh yeah. A weird kid. Like, yeah, oh yeah. You're, you're, we're supposed to feel something here, but not really because we really, you really had like two seconds and most of it has just been like, Larry, no. Or like, Larry, don't talk to her. Or go back in the house, Larry. Like it's just like you're a non existent character and you're one in the, you're in the last gasp of this show. Like, get out of here. Like did, did, did you guys th- when I when I was um when I was younger and they show they show Larry and Ralph and all them go embark on the quest on on the stand, I actually thought Larry's clothes were like pretty cool. Like like when I was younger, <laughs> I was like I like this jacket. He has like that weird like raincoat slash like native american buckskin jacket i thought it was i thought it was pretty cool here's a here's a question and this is i I definitely steal this from sammy but you're going on like a thousand mile walk are you gonna really take your fucking guitar like give me a break like like, have you ever walked with a guitar around your neck like or like around it's it's, it's, it's exhausting he'd be like chafing in the back he'd have like like a weird, um, there'd be like a really like hurt line on his back where like the guitar keeps hitting it again and again as he's walking. But like, hey, if my it's fucking rock and roll, yeah, yeah, man. Come if on, he, if he didn't do that, rock and, roll. and it's funny because I don't think we see him played at all on their no. journey. But if he didn't do that, we would not get the wonderful moment where Ratman takes his guitar and <laughs> this goes dead. <laughs> I, I think we're going to need time. a whole Ratman section a little bit later because Jesus Christ, it's every yeah. every bit of it is so good. Oh, I love it. It's um, so funny. I really but hope I guess, in the like, remake. Our... I really hope in the stand coming up on CBS, like uh, Larry brings his like laptop, um, and you know, it's... <laughs> I gotta put something on Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah, I update him as beat. like an EDM DJ. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I gotta make my beats here. You know, he takes his dead mouse hat. Yeah, like, they're like, fucking... uh, they're, they're like, hey, hey, Larry, how about a beat? He's like, sorry, Fruity Loops isn't working on this. I yeah, got, I gotta use Ableton instead. Uh, give me a second. <laughs> I need the new software update. Um, uh, yeah, I. Are there any other sort of scenes that perhaps were sort of, I don't know, that you that are really fresh in your mind from when you were young that revisiting them is is sort of weird or disorienting or maybe even satisfying? I I, I have I have one. Um, It's when Julie falls on the guy who's being electrocuted. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, she has like a freak out. She's like, we got to get out of here. And then she like trips over him and she starts getting electrocuted. And I just thought that was so funny. (laughs) I laugh my ass off at that because, yeah, she like turns and immediately falls on him. What does like, Flag say there too before he uh, before he seals Whitney's mouth shut? What, what does he say? He says like a pun. He said he's like, oh, you're always running off of the mouth or, or something. I for, I forget what Flag says oh, something yeah. really corny to him when he when he that little electricity ball comes out of his. Isn't mouth. it your lips are sealed or something? Something like that. <laughs> God, but I think, I think but so. it's for that one guy who like but who tries to betray. Him. He's like, we got to get out of here and. Um, he kind of looks like the mechanic in Halloween Four. Actually, I, he's old. Like he's the guy that he kind of seals his lips. He that's when he, I think he does the pun. Um, I don't think Julie. He's is, the he's the prin- Julie does he? He's the principal. He's the principal from Forrest Gump, right? Who's having sex with yeah, Forrest? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I a lot think of he people was on head Forrest of class Gump. too, which I used to love. I but I remember recognizing that actor, but he only gets a couple lines. But the ones he has always make me laugh. Like when uh, Dana's like you know, trashing flag. And they're like, they're like, what is it about him or whatever? And then he just goes, he's the biggest and the strongest man. 
too bad, Vasquez. So matter of fact. I love it. Uh, <laughs> too bad. I know. I love it's it. It's so bad. funny. And so, um, yeah, any other scenes that uh, that you guys remember and then seeing them again triggered any kind of, um, I don't know, reaction? Oh, uh, Ralph uh, just juggling <laughs> down the fucking hill. Like, his jolly fucking hat and... As a kid, I probably thought he was like, oh, what a nice man. I love um, Ralph. I still okay. like Ralph. I still think he's a nice man. He's a dilly of a man. He's I'm a glad. dilly of a man. But yeah, it's, it's funny in that scene, though, how they sort of applaud him. Like, they're all, like, clapping for each other for going down this washed-out road. And it just seems really weird looking back on it. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I, guess, I, I guess the more I see times the point I... of that oh, scene... Oh, wait, you oh, go, go for it. Go for it. No, no, you Okay, go, I'll go, just go. go. No, I just, like, I remember I was laughing because... Um, I, in the same way that you guys were, I remember that scene being sort of like, oh, it's such a grim journey, but here they are just having a good time. But it seems like so, but like the way when Glenn starts running down it and he's like waving his hat around and everything, yeah. like, I'm just like, this reaction seems really bizarre. Like, like you could trip and kill yourself, you know? And then, uh, and then they're all just like so proud of each other for going down the hill and everything is so happy. And then I, I also laugh because Stu falls down, you know, the thing. And then Ralph climbs yeah. it like he's a monkey. You know, it's like know. so easy, and I just laugh because I'm like, man, Stu must feel like an like an asshole because if if he can't climb it and Ralph's just zooming up it, you must be what like, it, man. I and suck. I think too, it's it's that thing, is, and King does this a lot. And at least like in the books, you don't feel as much, but it's the same thing in like the Langoliers where they all run away together and then they're like, hey, let's go, yeah. Like it's just, <laughs> just this very this vague sense of camaraderie for, over nothing. Well, and that's it funny. speaks too to to like how King will always writes those scenes where somebody tells a dumb joke and then they laugh so hard they fall over and snot flies yes. everywhere and they lose uh. and i'm just like i've never laughed like that <laughs> yeah, no, no. it's true yeah it's always like it's like oh they laughed until like kool-aid burst out of their nose or something. until kool-aid spurts out of their assholes <laughs> That kind of reminds me um, of the uh, final chapter Friday the 13th when like they're all laughing at like this nude woman that's like on like a um a silent oh, film yeah. that they have but like their re- expressions and like reactions to it are over the top like they're cackling like they're watching like fucking Rodney Dangerfield at their it is prime like like anytime like you know you cut to like old footage of just people like losing their minds like peeing their pants laughing and all it is is just like a woman dancing nude like it's these overreactions that I have to imagine, like on set, they're like funnier, laugh, laugh, laugh harder, harder. Like, and th- yeah, that is always in King's pages. Like the, and he even does it in his new pa- his new book. Like, there's, um, there's a, uh, I think it's in the Life of Chuck. There's like a scene where like someone just like overreacts, like when someone's dancing, and it's like there's someone yeah. dancing in a square, and like people come by and they're like, oh man, you got it, you go for it or whatever, and it's just like nobody in their fucking right <laughs> mind is gonna do this in real life. In public. If somebody did that, you'd like think they were weird and be like get the fuck yeah. away from me <laughs> there's always like a lack of self-awareness with some of his characters you're just like no the human body and the human mind especially those who are rational aren't going to go to that level um so i just anyway but um well before i feel like we all have a lot of a lot of uh like things that we can dunk on a little bit and again i think we just we're not haters we all love this like we love mm-hmm. the stand we wouldn't have rewatched it and done four episodes on it if we didn't but there's also a lot to have fun with here but why don't we go around and talk about what we actually liked uh and what stuff like we talked a little bit about moments that worked and and uh like you know dan you mentioned the dana scene and stuff but like what is it that you do think holds up that you think is effective uh and and basically like 
would even, you know, if you saw it in the miniseries that's coming out this fall, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's good. What do you guys think? I mean, I, I really love the, all the stuff with Stu getting better. I, I don't know. I mean, and I think I think it's just Gary Sinise is such a good actor, and I really like Bill Figurebeck as as um, or Figurebeck as Tom Collin. Like, it's just a nice two person scene work there. I actually think um, the scene that really creeps me out is I know we talked about Nadine's suicide. The way Flag is being overly cheery with her and pretending yeah. that everything is fine that like genuinely unnerves me and you can yeah. see everyone looking at him like he's kind of losing his mind that even that, lloyd's I, just I mean, like I, I you're too far like lloyd's even just yeah the whole, like, yeah, the whole scene where he flips it. out at lloyd even aside from the effects of his face changing like i think that that's actually pretty effective one and also because you've seen lloyd be the one person flag's been like cool with the whole time you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Oh that, wait, that, what what about the uh the just the judge the judge gets killed in this one, right? I know. That that, that scene like <laughs> I, I actually, actually like that scene. I, I do the, too. The, the, it, it is weird when Randall, you talked about this the other day in text. <laughs> when he when he gets shot, it's weird how it goes into shutter speed all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, oh shit. But outside of that, I actually I actually did that whole chase and I love how we get the John Landis uh sam raimi cameo like that that all feels pretty close to the book to me but the, it's it's literally just the moment where the shooting happens that's like a little bit, a little bit i mean scary. it's also close to reality considering someone dies in the scene but um i god i uh well, I'll films say, available on I'll shutter s- um oh about the judge scene i just i i agree Here, i'll say this though about the judge scene is that is that it feels like just really abrupt um, in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. cause you, you see the judge like in part two or in part three, like him and Larry talk and then he goes on his way. But then we only get like this scene of him driving and then suddenly yep. two people are on his ass and then they're all shooting at each other. And I don't think they do. I think that at least when I was young, I didn't understand that they wanted to like decapitate him and put his head in a box and send it to him. Like they do say that, but I think that they couldn't, I don't know. Like I, the way it's written is really bizarre. And I think that it makes me wonder if like the network was like, you can't talk about decapitating an old man. So they're just like, you need to don't hit his face at all. Don't hit his face is like the only thing they say. But like, I didn't know what that meant when I was young, I remember. And so I remember finding the whole scene very jarring. And especially just because the judge gets out, uh, the guy walks up and he's just like, "Hey, hey, old timer, how you doing?" And then immediately the judge sees the gun and he just goes, he goes, "You bastard!" Oh. <laughs> and then he gets shot. And then his hands—the way that they shoot it, where like his hands go up to his face and it goes in shutter speed. And the because like nobody, if you're getting shot in the face, you're not putting hands up like on your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I, such a weird scene. <laughs> I agree. I feel like we needed one more scene with him where he's kind of just scouting and doing his thing. I mean, like when you look at the book that's some of the more unnerving sequences of that like ladder yep. section. Like, I love the judge so sequences good. there. Yeah. Cause is, isn't there like a sequence he, where he's he, like in the motel and like he, yeah, he's he, he kind of an abandoned motel and he, he sees flag at the window as the bird. He tries to shoot it, but like it doesn't work and you just get to spend a lot of time with him by himself, which I, I love that. Yep. And, and I, I mean, wanted to, it would have been great to have like one more sequence of that. Cause you're right. It does feel very like, Oh yeah, this guy. <laughs> like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Okay. I just love it. You bastard! <laughs> See, I, I the one of the scenes that I really liked was the uh, when Stu actually falls. Yeah. Because I love like how prophecies. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and the prophecies never quite match up to what you think they'll be. So when Mother Abigail predicts one of you will fall on the way, you know, you're like, oh, one of them's gonna die, and then he literally has a fall. Yeah. And I think that was such a cool twist, and I remember being young and just being like, wow, yeah. that's 
totally unexpected. Man. And it's cool, too, to see, like, Tom kind of nurse Stu back to health. And in the extended version of The Stand, and I don't think, Caffrey, you just read it recently. Yeah, well, I read that, They were together for, like, 200 one, pages. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's it, funny, because rereading it, even in, the, even in the standard one that's only 800 pages, you're reading it, and you're like, I almost was surprised how fast all the Vegas stuff happened because there was so much left in it still. I, I actually I like that you brought that sample here because I one I and uh, hey look I'm a I am an Adam Stork stan until the day I die. I love his performance <laughs> in this. One of my, one of I think his finest pieces of acting in this is when um, he wants to stay behind with Stu and he wants to like get a stretcher for him and everything. And he's like flipping out almost like a little kid, and Stu, Stu like grabs his neck. He's just like, "No, man, this is how it has to be." I don't know. I think that's some yeah, fine, a, a fine yeah. Stork Sinise combo, if I if I may say so. I love that part. Should you should have left him the guitar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, here, learn how to play some Hank Williams. Here you go. Steve. Yeah. Here you go, oh, here, here's some chords for uh, you yeah, know, uh, "Come as You Are," "Small Lane Teen Spirit." What else? <laughs> 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 I, I come back to him like eating rabbit, be like, dar, dar, dar. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's like trying yeah. to learn like Metallica fade to black. He's like, God damn it, why, why does this song have an F bar chord in it? It's so fucking hard. <laughs> well, it's, it's really, it, it's kind of a, a testament to his character and his performance too, because like you don't really get that many sequences with like Larry and Stu, you know? Like, I mean, there's like a couple, you know, parts where they get together in Boulder and whatnot, but. Not even really. I mean, like that. There's like that picnic, and you know, maybe one or two other ones, and like them walking and so. But like, it, it just that I think it really does speak to like Adam Stork, and that you do feel something for that scene, um, and also feel for obviously Stu because like we we don't want him to fall wayside. Also, um, I, I did want to bring this up because I think that like one of the things that I I thought about watching it this time was the the ease of which Stu just like falls and crumbles like. It's it is destined that he needs to fall to survive. So it's like almost as if like it's almost as if like uh, you we're watching Stu in like um, a very like dreamlike state of like uh, it kind of like with Nightmare on Elm Street where like she can't walk and she's like on the stairs and like it becomes like putty. It's almost like that's like what happens to Stu here. Um, like he was always like it was like there is literally something pushing him down and being like no you're not up here. Like you, yeah. I know that you're going to be able to climb the hand this. Hand of God. Yeah. Hand I mean, that's how you do the hand of God. You don't have a fucking visual, you know, screensaver come down and pick it up. Like, um, I wish we did see the blue hand push. Stu. Oh, we, <laughs> like, boing, like flicks him. Boing. Yeah. Just like flicks yeah. him. <laughs> fucking genie from Aladdin just pops up and like, Ooh, you, you stay down there, boy. Um, um, I'll say, yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's an interesting part of, um, of the stand is the general concept of, of fate, uh, fate and free will. And also sort of like, is this coincidence or is it self-fulfilling prophecy or is it actual, you know, God, which I think is something the book leaves ambiguous. And, uh, whereas the, this series, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later. I want to kind of do a whole section on it, uh, is, is just sort of how Christian this gets versus the book. Cause it does get in my mind, aggressively Christian in ways that I find mm-hmm. like yep. even more so than last time I remember. And so, um, but yeah, I think in terms of scenes that I like though, Dan, uh, Flieger, you mentioned the Dana scene and I remember being young and I just didn't, you know, absorb things as well. And I remember having no clue who Dana was <laughs> Like, because you don't see a scene of her, like, leaving the Boulder Free Zone. They just say we should send Dana, you know? And Dana's in scenes before that. But, like, 
And then we see her in Vegas, like, see Tom Cullen. But I remember when I was a kid, I just didn't know who that was, like, the blonde person. And then when Lloyd was was uh, sleeping with her, I just remember being like, who is this person? Like, I, it was, I, and like, now, obviously, I get it. But I still think uh, those scenes work really well. Like, I think that she's a really good actor. Uh, and the tense you know, the tense nature of the sequence, the knife arm is like a cool touch. And then I think the whole scene between her and Flag is good because it hits a lot of different notes. Like, I feel like Jamie Sheridan really gets that chance to play like the nice, chill, folksy guy. Like you actually like I I love that moment when he's basically like, uh, you know, I'm going to let you go. And she basically is like Mm -hmm. and you can see her like there's a brief moment where she kind of believes it, you know, and because he's so convincing in the way that he says it and just the way he sort of I think it's one of the best like scenes in terms of dialogue really speaking to plot and like the motivations of the characters evolving throughout the scene and the desperation of the characters evolving throughout the scene. And you see sort of flag like playing her like a fiddle for most of it. And then she gets the better of them in the end. Uh, um, and so yeah, she, she's very brave. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's like, you think about it, she's almost like Mata Hari, like the slave yeah. where she's willing to sleep with people to advance the cause and then she understands that they're going to torture her to get Tom's name. So she just does that thing where she slams Ugh, her neck down yeah, on the glass. So I think in the book it's illustrated, too. Yeah, you see, you see yeah. a Bernie, um, old Bernie Wright's illustration. I think I said this on the original episode where we covered the stand. But when I was a kid, I, oh, I, I get now that when she has the switchblade on her wrist and she stabs Flag, he's turning the blade into a banana. But when I was a kid, I thought it was implied that she tried to cut off his dick and his dick became a banana. Like, I, remember, <laughs> I remember distinctly being like, whoa, oh my God. Yeah, I always remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that reveal works well too, even though it's a little bit hokey. Um, I don't know. That was a scene when I was watching it. I go, I actually think this is a really well-acted scene between two good actors that's written actually quite well. Um, and aside, you know, his face changes and it's a little bit silly, but... Do, do you guys think that, like going to the Christian thing, not even think this is just an observation when right when we watch when i rewatched this beef house had just come on to eric's beef house which we're all a big fan of and the opening episode is um eric painting easter eggs and talking about his <laughs> wife and talking about like i love i love your strength and your christian heart and so i kept thinking <laughs> i kept thinking in this episode the phrase like your christian heart like what would this stand? <laughs> that, that has nothing to do with anything that, that's just a, just an observation yeah. no i love that um, what other scenes would you guys say worked well for you? I mean, Ray Walston, this is his just major hour. Um, I mean, th- I mean <laughs> not even joking. Like, I mean, the whole, the whole stuff with Glenn in the jail is just phenomenal. Uh, I mm. love, I love when he's, uh, talking to Lloyd and he just gets under Lloyd's skin. Um, even as he's trying to save Lloyd. And I think it just kind of speaks to the power of Ray Walston um, as as an actor and just being able to kind of convey that sort of um, sentimentality that doesn't come off as so Christian, doesn't come off as so overtly lame. <laughs> it just comes very like yeah. there's a humbling to it um, and a humanity that really speaks to Glenn that I think that Ray Walston brings to it. So I'm interested to see how they actually play that out uh, in the in the remake because seeing Greg Kinnear is there. <laughs> Just get blown away <laughs> in the fucking jail. So I, I just there's something that I can't really see, visualize that, but like that sequence always just really hits me hard because I, I I mean I love Glenn. He's like my favorite character, but um, just the way that he delivers that scene is awesome. And he what, just, what's he the one line he's the, the line uh, the arthritis is crazy. What's the line that's all right, Mister Henry? You didn't know yeah. any better. And what yeah. else? Too oh, Miguel Ferrer for Miguel Ferrer's performance. 
you see him simultaneously just on his face. You see him simultaneously being both mad at at Glenn, but also feeling really guilty about what he's doing. Like yeah. I love, like he's kind of almost like crying through it. Which I love. I found. Out well, you that. see two sources I, I of conviction. This... Like you know, you get one yeah, on it's... one hand, you get someone who is just absolutely totally sober about what is going to happen and the sacrifices that he has to make, and then you also get you know Lloyd who knows that he kind of goes back to why he made that choice to begin with. You know, he, he made it because society, he felt society turned against him, even though he really turned yeah. his back on society. Um, and I really uh, like, I like that scene he has with Whitney where he says that too, where Whitney like invites him to leave and he's like, yeah. oh, man, I can't. Yeah. So that's so, that's so good. I, there's there, I don't know who created it. There's a uh, gif of, or Jeff, however you say it, of, of just, Lloyd shooting uh, Glenn and Glenn collapsing. It's like the weirdest. I don't know what you would. I don't know what you would use it for. But I remember. I remember like. Well, I know I I'm going to send it after we're off this call now. Yeah, it's, and, and there's no there's no like funny comment with it or it's and it's, and it's you know it's a, it's a gif so it's kind of like sped up. It's just like. Dur, dur, dur. I'm going to use that for one of my daily posts from like Thursday. I'm just going to like have that gif player. <laughs> Um, no, I agree. And, uh, Flieger, you mentioned the arthritis. I've always thought that was a really good little bit of acting because like when flag zaps his, his arthritis and makes it flare up and the way that he grits his teeth and clenches his hands and says, you know, oh, it's not so bad. Like he really acts that like every moment of it. And I can totally feel that the pain, you know, in that moment, I remember feeling that way when I was a kid and feeling that way about it now as well. So a good bit of acting by Mr. Ray Walston, also of fast times at Ridgemont high. Oh, love him. Mr. Han, Mr. Han, um, any others? (laughs) Wait, what's that? Caffrey? I said on the mouse and the the mouse and the motorcycle. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wait, one other thing. Ray, so wait, Ray Walston. I'm just looking at this. What year is the miniseries? Ninety four. Yeah, yeah. He, I he feel like he died soon after. In this. Yeah. No, he. Uh, Two thousand one. He died. He, so he was eighty when he filmed this. In the book, he's references the old guy. But he's only in his fifties. So I guess Greg Kinnear, weirdly enough, is closer to what Glenn Bateman should be. But I don't think I'll ever not see Ray Walston in this role, no matter how good yeah. Greg Kinnear is. He's so yeah, he's so good. Um, oh wow, he yeah, died. Man, so he, he died on New Year's Day. 2001. Oh, wow. So he was uh, spared the horrors of 9/11. But um. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Justin. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> spared. Yeah, his Greg Kinnear is only 56. Eh? He's like literally almost 30 years younger than yeah. than Ray Walson will be. It's so funny. Hey, he looks great too. Well, hey um, man, if, if Ray Walson was able to get down that hill, I would be waving my hat around too. That's a <laughs> that's no small feat for an 80 year old. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. 
That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Um, uh, one other thing I love about this part is Nadine's uh, pink little scooter that she drives. Mm. Is it gendered as hell? Sure, but I think I it's uh, I think it's well, kind of charming. also too. I I can I can never figure out as a kid, even watching it now. She has that weird headscarf on, but it looks like she's like a tumor on the back of her neck. I never knew what exactly. I guess it's just the way the scarf is, but I always thought that was very strange looking. Interesting. Oh like man, you're crazy. A bike, you know? um, what? I'm reading here that Walston and he was he, no no I'm not I'm not making a bit. This isn't a bit. Um, so. All right, here comes the joke. Six years before he died, which is only like, I guess, like a year after the stand, he was diagnosed with lupus, which is, um, it's kind of crazy. So it was like literally like, I mean, that's a pretty serious fucking disease, um, or at least autoimmune disease. Um, so it's kind of wild that he got that literally only like a year after this movie, which is about, well, I guess it's a plague, so it doesn't really count, but just, that's kind of creepy that literally a year later, his, <laughs> he gets his death sentence, basically. Um Anyway, sorry. Oof. Didn't mean well, hey, he, he he was still spared 9-11. So. <laughs> he was, yes. Spared yes, the yeah. horrors of 9-11. That fateful Tuesday. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, I love it. Like someone speaking at his funeral, they're like, well, at least he didn't have to live to see 9-11. <laughs> yeah. In January of 2001. Nine months later. Wow. You really were able to predict that, huh? Um, oh, one other thing I loved was when Lloyd's on the phone with the guys who kill the judge and when he gets off the phone and um, Dana yells from the other room, she's like, Lloyd, come to bed. And he, his reaction is he goes, oh yeah. Like he just, oh yeah, I was fucking somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a, there's like, there's some, we get some uh, sleazy silk stockings, uh, saxophone and guitar there too. I think. Don't we? Oh yeah. I remember, yeah. Get some, yeah. I remember in the, in the book, she always talks about like watching his penis start to twitch again. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like so funny. I feel like I probably said I, uh, there's these weird little things I remember. I think I probably said them on the episode, but I always thought that was super funny. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. She she <laughs> says um she says or he says like I thought you were going to sleep. And she's like I think I need a sleeping pill. And then he like he has this. It's such a porny moment. I love it. He like has a <laughs> cigarette and he like takes a drag, puts it out, and he goes, "Call me the doctor." <laughs> <laughs> He sells it though, man. He's a good. He's a he good does. <laughs> I right. love it. Um, R.I.P. Love Miguel Ferrer. Don't don't you think it's kind of weird how like how many men are in the room when Dana is like so um, exposed in a way? It, it, there's something very like uh, terrifying about that from her perspective. Oh, like when it's she like, wait when she wakes up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about that because I think we can pivot now into maybe the stuff that made us laugh. Or general observations, general, and then and then we'll get to our real criticisms. But I want to say that, like, I was cracking up at that scene because why are Whitney, uh, Dorgan, Ratman, and Julie like the ones they called upon? To <laughs> no, like, what role does Julie serve? <laughs> like that she would be there. <laughs> It's almost yeah, like they're like, hey, we kind of need to uh, greatest hits, an allotment of uh, the the rogues gallery that's out there in Vegas. Who, who do we got on set today? I, I, hey, I'll do it. Um, you know, I, I, well, I, I mean, my yeah, like I get like they are the representatives of Vegas, so I understand it from like a casting perspective. But I just like to think about like Flag being like, all right, we got to confront Dana. Get me Ratman, Julie, yeah, Dorgan, I, I and the- Whitney. <laughs> 
need my crack team of specialists. And it's, it's like the Three Stooges. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, too, also, and this is, I mean, this, I don't think this is a problem in the book, per se, but we really don't get to know the characters of Vegas like we do Boulder, right? I mean, we oh, really get, right, like, right. we really get Flag, Lloyd, Trash Can Man, and then some ancillary characters like Rat Man and Ace High. But, I mean, it's, it's really, there's really not, like, much to choose from but i mean it would have made more sense just to have like random stooges because at that point julie hasn't uh julie hasn't revealed well i guess re- she has talked about the spies right or i can't remember has, has no revealed... not before no, no not, not yet yeah, so, yeah no, not yet is she up there she's just like this new yeah oh man that's 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 <laughs> it's just get, to me such a me weird observation the... i mean the rat man is I don't know how high. How high? I guess they've established the <laughs> he's rat ace high. Yeah, <laughs> he's always with ace high. I, I guess they've established that Ratman is pretty high in his rankings, right? Because he's he's there when to meet Trashcan Lloyd. Like, because he's is he, he's, this is Lloyd Henry. He ain't bad for a slice of wonder yeah. bread. <laughs> yeah, we quoted that last. He's just like, yeah. he's like the Ratman has seniority. <laughs> yeah. God, it's his lines are so funny. Every single one of them, and I can see it. They're just like, we gotta get a, we gotta get Rick in this scene. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. The uh, man's working on his four hundred one k. But I want to talk too about um, about, and I we mentioned this previously about how when they show Vegas, there's people just walking around with guns and stuff, which I find very funny. And there was more of that going on here because I think like what's in, and we've talked about this, but like what's interesting about the stand is that there isn't a huge difference between the people that go to Vegas, at least like outwardly, like the people that go to Vegas and the people that go to uh, Boulder, like it's, 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 uh, it's more of like an interior thing, but like, you know, like the Vegas that they describe, it's, uh, there's a lot of children there and it's like, there's a lot of normal people. Like they're not all like Satanists who show up in Vegas, you know? So I just think it's, and this I think speaks to the Christian aspect because, and like, and sort of the, um, the family values sort of thing because like when we are in boulder everything is so idyllic and we see picnics and we see children and we see light pastel colors and things of that nature you know it's sunny and it's nice out but then when we're in vegas everyone is in black like when i was watching it it's like black leather uh pleather things of that nature people are like all the women are dressed like you know like they're prostitutes or something and uh there's like a a guy with pink hair like Oh yeah, in the back of one scene, like I have no idea why he was there. It was like, oh, it was when Flag brought Nadine back, uh, and they were at the elevator. There was just some random like drug addict looking guy with pink hair standing in the background, and I'm just like, um, and then um, and then like everyone's like punks, and then the soldiers are all wearing black, and they have these like plastic helmets on. It's like so funny to me, and there's ominous like purple light everywhere. It like it all looks like a nightclub. But the thing that really killed me, and I texted you guys about this, but like during the scene when they they're gathering and like they're dragging um uh Ralph and Larry off the car and they're going through the crowd and you're seeing the masses like so you see all the guards and they're like big assault rifles and weapons but then you also see just random guys who are like in suits and like just normal clothes just holding Uzis <laughs> yeah which is ridiculous yeah that's Uzis are such a 90s weapon too like yeah. they're actually not very good guns but everyone everyone's a bad guy or like a criminal has an mm-hmm. Uzi <laughs> I like, know who, what hero ever used an Uzi. I mean, I guess McLean maybe <laughs> takes a machine gun at one point, but not really. Um, I think in uh, 
in True Lies, Jamie Lee Curtis yes. drops an Uzi down the stairs. Yeah. But it's like so funny that... to me how they didn't even try to sort of embrace that kind of nuance. Like everyone is so comically evil that is in the crowd there. And there's this moment when Whitney is like, this isn't how America, this ain't how Americans act, you know, like when they're torturing the people and, and every, and I just love it. He's like, we got to stop this. And like, nobody says anything, <laughs> but like, it's like people cheering death by dismemberment. Like it's so evil. But then when he says this ain't how Americans act, I'm like, absolutely. It is like, I don't think the dial even needs to be turned that much to the point where we'd start be, where we'd be cheering for people to be dismembered on TV or something. When, and I also wish too, cause I actually like what flag says where he, where he's like, Oh, uh, those small children are excused, but we don't see one kid in, in, in Vegas right. in this. Whereas in the book, you see kids running around, which I think actually yep. like, just complicates it in, in a much cooler way. But um, yeah, it's kind of funny to me because it almost feels like he's joking around or something. Like there are no kids here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's right. Like yeah. The, and and um, there's something like, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and once again, I get that they're, we're getting a much more superficial look at Vegas in this. Cause it's a me series. But yeah, I think, I think all like the, the Uzis and the wife beaters and the stud, like the, the studded pants and, and jackets. And all that. Yeah. Like, I think I said, this looks like, the video game Streets of Rage, like they all look, they all look like gang members in like a 1990s fighting game or, or something like that. Yeah. And like when they get when they get Larry and and uh, Ralph like out of the back of the van, immediately when the door opens, some guy runs forward and they just start pistol like beating him with the butt of their gun like immediately. It's just like so unruly. And then and like when Ratman grabs Larry's guitar, it's like so awkward the way he grabs it from him. <laughs> it's like, did it's you really need dead. to do that? <laughs> And then he has another line when they're in there and Ralph does his, uh, he goes one less rat man in the world, which made me wonder if that was like mildly racist coming from like the farmer guy, like imitating his voice. Yeah. He's kind of imitating his accent a little bit. Yeah. If you're, if you're... Right. And then, uh, but and then Ratman goes, shut up that honky voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Should we pivot into the rat man just to go all Yeah. In? Let's talk about Ratman, baby. What do you guys got? Uh, all right, so is anyone actually able to like see the Ratman and watch the scenes with him and not think of some of the most terrifying scenes from Ghost? Because uh, uh, I, I, it's impossible for me to watch like Riccavello without actually thinking of like him either being torn apart by the shadows at the end of the movie Ghost or. Um, and not the end, what? I guess in the I middle. I've never seen oh, Ghost. Oh, really? I've, I've actually never seen Ghost in full. I've seen the Shadow yeah. Monsters. Wow. And I know right. the general. Is, is Ghost worth watching? I've seen oh, yeah. No, Ghost is great. Like, uh, Ghost is, I mean, it, it got some sappy moments in there, but it's it's a it's a really solid movie. Directed by the same, uh, uh, I think the writers of Airplane or the director of Airplane, David Zucker, I think. But, um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's really weird. It's, it's definitely That's a pivot weird. there. But um, he's so iconic in that movie that every time I see him, I, he, he actually does frighten me. Um, just because of how he, you know, who he is in the in the previous movie. So, Ratman's never been. I mean, obviously he's a cartoonish and comical, ridiculous character, but he actually is somewhat effective for me just because of who of my, you know, um, association with Ghost. So, sure. I guess I'm the only I, person on this podcast who's seen Ghost. But. No, no, no. I've seen Ghost, and he is good in it. It's just been so long since I've seen it, and I think just the thing with Ratman is that there's no evolution into Ratman. Like, he oh, is no. Ratman from the beginning. Like, he is dressed in the arcade the way he is, 
like it's only slightly turned up when he pops up in Vegas as the rap man. And and like just the the idea to me that he has already developed this fully formed evil persona, like even before he gets to Vegas. And yeah. the fact that he's hanging. So like, are, are you having dreams of Mother Abigail or Vegas? Uh, you don't have to tell me, rat man. I already know. But then he's and with did, did he... he's with Ace High in the arcade, and then they both somehow survive and go to Vegas together. <laughs> Yeah. Do, do you guys uh on the third episode did you guys talk about the the wonder bread line what the funniest thing oh, is yeah. he, say, he says the wonder bread line and then there's just a weird pause like everyone's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know that i know we're not talking third episode yeah it's no it's like that and that's the thing too is 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 like that i mean rick avila is an incredible actor but it's like He's so silly, like in this, and yeah, he's called the Rat Man. He's supposed to be silly. I mean, he, but... and he's a he's a comedian, right? Or I, I, th- I think that's how he got started, like in the eighties and nineties. He was a like a stand up comedian. And oh, I did, didn't know that. He did the voice of uh, I, I, apparently the cockroaches in Joe's apartment. I think too. Yeah, yeah he's in Joe's apartment. It's like I think his last movie. Yeah. He's in Waterworld too. Yeah, he died. Um, not, I mean, the stand Joe's apartment and, and Waterworld were. We're all pretty close. Yeah, because he, he died fairly soon after this, right? Unfortunately. But I just picture, like, when Flag is giving out assignments for who they have to work with, and then they're like, all right, you're going to be with the Rat Man. I'd be like, oh, does anybody want to change? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd be like, trying to do small talk, and he'll be like, the Rat Man says the humidity is getting. It's like, all right, I know who's talking to me. Uh, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like uh, Jimmy in uh, Seinfeld. It's like, Jimmy's uh, proud for their relationship. Jimmy's, you know, J- Jimmy's a little, a little jealous. Uh, Jimmy's going outside for a drink. <laughs> yeah, be exhausting. It would, it, I agree. It would be totally exhausting yeah. having to work, like especially since so much of it would be downtime. You'd be like out in the outskirts and just be like, "So well, where, where, yeah. where are you up? Uh, where, where'd you go up from?" And it'd just be like these one word, like like three word sentences: "Rat Man from Philadelphia" or something like that, or like "Rat Man from this." Or it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. He's like the Rat Man. Don't like. And you're like, all right, uh, dude, just tell me what you want for lunch. Let's just... <laughs> um, so let's talk about Trash Can Man. Mike, you said he's one of your least favorite characters. Why is that? I just think he's so cartoonish. I mean, I talked about it in like the first or second episode, but it just literally feels like someone plopped in from like a comic book or a graphic novel. I mean, in the book, it gives a little more context and you get to go into his backstory. But even his backstory to me just feels so... Um, uh, like EC comics then you know like the idea of like the you know the people taunting him and now he's a pyromaniac and like it, it just feels very heightened in a, for what's you know tr- pretty much like a pretty grounded story with with the characters with the I mean obviously with the exception of Ratman um, but yeah everyone <laughs> everyone seems to be like Ratman wait Ratman <laughs> hang out with Trash Man and we meet uh, <laughs> meet the Walking Man um, no but I it, it just feels so um it doesn't feel like parallel with the story to me. It never has. And it just feels as if whenever he comes in, it's just like, um, <laughs> it almost feels like, uh, Gabriel Byrne for finding out about like the characters from cool world crossing over. It's just like in the movie, we're just like, <laughs> what? There's a whole animated world. Holy shit. Like, that's why I feel like all the characters are, are like when like trash man arrives in Vegas, they're all like, who the hell's this goon? Um, no, they're uh, not like, uh, when, when Ratman meets him, he goes, Ooh, trash. Good to meet you. <laughs> yeah, but like, but like, even like Lloyd's just like, who is he or something like that? And it's just like, it just feels well, that's very... the thing. I th- well, that's oh, what's go, go. so weird about trash can in the, like in the movie is that 
why, like, the question is, like, why does Flag love him so much? Is it because he's an explosives expert? It's like, okay, but then wouldn't Flag have been smart enough to know that he was just going to snap for no discernible reason and start blowing everything up, you know? It's like, because when you watch him snap, it's just like, oh, it's because he's still haunted by his memories, you know? And that just, to me, doesn't quite track is like why he would suddenly sabotage everything and blow everything up and and uh because we just don't really get that sense of what it is that flag season trash um aside aside from when he's like oh i felt a kinship with that boy but it's like why like elaborate on that you know and um and i know there's more of it in the book and everything but then i but i do like the idea that you know Trash is so sorry he wants to forgive him and the idea of bringing him a huge nuclear missile. Like, I've always enjoyed that sort of plot turn because it's sort of the twisted thing that that character would do. But but just, you know, I think the general arc of Trash in the movie is basically like we go from A to B to F to M Mm -hmm. to T to Z, you know? It's like, it feels like there's a lot of gaps missing in terms of the development of that character. But I've always liked him because I've always, you know, I'm just a huge, I've been a huge Matt Frewer fan, like, ever since I was a kid, so. Oh, well, Frewer's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Frewer's great in this. I just think that the character itself is just too much of, like, a caricature. Um, I think the only thing that's interesting to me is the fact that he does bypass Flag because in that respect, he's almost like the Joker, um, where, like, he's just, he's uncontrollable. He's, 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 he's without any sort of reason. Um, he doesn't fall on the good or bad. He just is. And he's just like this, he is this agent of chaos to, uh, to borrow, uh, everyone's favorite term on, on uh, Twitter and whatever, but, um, Joker, Joker. agent of chaos. Uh, but, uh, hi, <laughs> uh, no, but like I, <laughs> Peter Griffin, all of a sudden, <laughs> Uh, 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 hey there, it's Joker. Uh, hey, Lois, you see the makeup that I put up on you? Oh, hey there, Cleveland. Um, <laughs> uh, God, anyway. Dad, uh, Caffrey, go Caffrey uh, what are your thoughts on Trashy as as he exists in the miniseries? I mean, I I think we talked a little bit about this on the, the first episode, just that, yeah, I, I buy that that Flag values Trash for being able to go out into the desert and actually scout out these things, almost having like a, a bloodhound's nose for ammunition and nuclear weapons and all that. But they don't really establish that in the miniseries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, oh yeah, trash, I love him. Let's send him to Indian Springs. Um, yeah. But I don't know, I mean, yeah, yeah I, like, I really like, for what he's given, I like Matt Frewer's performance a lot. And I, I think when he shows back up to Vegas, the makeup is really good, at, like where he peels off those goggles and the, the oh, yeah. skin oh, comes that. off. Oh, it's yeah. so sick. Yeah. Like, I, and I actually... I actually, he's really unnerving when he's getting so desperate in that scene and also seeing everyone else like not want to go near him because he's radioactive. Um, yeah, so hey, I'm, I am uh, team trash all the way. Yeah, yeah. It looks like he's peeling like a grilled cheese sandwich yeah. open oh, when he takes the classes yeah. off. I, I, I think, love that. Um, but, I, but the way, I, I think that's how I always talk about like, uh, oh no, I was saying like, I think Randall Flagg, um, because he has sort of like a toxic effect on those around him, he never selects the best minions like he you know he's a vain guy and he wants to feel superior so i feel like he kind of shoots himself in the foot by picking acolytes that are gonna yeah. fuck up eventually when I think right? too, like nobody flag if, is... you can look at like well, i was gonna say like compare trash can and Ratman to stew and larry and like who got the better soldiers in that yeah draft. i know for sure well because i think also something to get out later in the dark tower books and and a little bit at the end of the stand is that yeah, I almost think Flag is once you learn about more of his backstory um, in the other books later on, you almost learn that he's kind of this insecure, damaged 
um, just <laughs> weird way, like just kind of wants power and to be loved kind of guy. And not, not that I sympathize with him at all because he's obviously a horrible villain and a horrible person. But I think the more you learn about him and the more you're around him, you realize he's a pretty flawed villain when it comes to leadership. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's as even as powerful as other King villains who we, who we meet in different books. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and so, yeah, I kind of knowing that greater mythology, I don't mind that he has, um, kind of, you know, lunatics running the asylum, asylum, essentially. I, I was going to say, this is actually the, I think him peeling off those goggles and showing radiation sickness. I think that's how I found out what radiation sickness was when I was a yeah. kid. Like my dad, my dad explained it to me. So that's always going to like stick with me. I always just thought that he had been in the sun too long and I'm not making that up. <laughs> no, no, same here. No, 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 same here. Honestly, I think if you go back to our old episode, I I asked that. Like, is it because he was just literally in the sun for hours upon hours for thousands of miles? Or is it because of the, the, the radiation poisoning? Because it's like people that work in these, you know, in these areas, like you're probably by the bombs. I mean, the bomb is contained, right? Like, but, but then everyone was like, no, it's the radiation. <laughs> So, um, yeah, yeah, because I, I think I, I realized that when I read the book, because I didn't I didn't know what radiation poisoning was at that point. Um, I kind of like what you were saying, Flieger, about or what you guys were all saying is the whole sense that uh, that flag didn't choose very well in terms of his people. And that's I mean, Lloyd's, you know, loyal, but otherwise he's he's got kind of some some lunatics running the asylum. And I think that's interesting because it does point to the idea that Vegas is crumbling, which is a really interesting thing in the book. But here it's interesting here in the book too, or in the series, because you know, you have that scene with Whitney basically saying like, Oh, you know, I got a bad feeling. Things are turning, things are turning. And that's fine amongst all the Vegas people. But what bothers me, and I think this can spring into the larger conversation about how Christian this is, is like, why, why are Larry and Glenn and Stu and Ralph also so convinced that uh, Vegas is crumbling? Like, cause Glenn keeps saying it. He's like, he's like, uh, it's already over for them. I can feel it. You know, um, uh, what he has a line where he, when he's talking to the cops and everything. And he's like, he's like, you know, things that, you know, like none of this is, or his world is crumbling and we both know it. Like why, like, why do they know that? Like did, and it's that whole, and like, of course, what it makes me think of is just the general concept in the New Testament, which is that, you know, no matter the battle between good and evil, like the Bible, it's already preordained, like God wins, Jesus wins. That is the book, you know, like it is preordained that, you know, good triumphs over evil. And that's like the sort of vibe I get where that's sort of this almost like cocky, uh, spirituality where it's just kind of like our God is right. Your God is wrong, you know? And, uh, and, and then it just further strikes that sort of like hyper Christian, um, you know, good versus evil narrative, especially when you accompany it with sort of the folksiness of the Boulder free zone versus the hedonism of Vegas. And, uh, and just these very sort of tired tropes about what constitutes good and what constitutes evil. And, uh, and so, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts in, in terms of sort of the, the difference between, uh, the exploration of this in the book versus the, the, the miniseries? Well, yeah, because I, I think in, in well, in this too, I mean, it's, just, it's a term of length, right? Like when they show up, when they show up uh, to bury, is it Barry Drogan or Dorgan? It's Dorgan. Dorgan. But Larry when calls they, him what, Drogan at one point. 
Okay, see, I mean, because it's so it's Heck, Drogon, Barry Dorgan, <laughs> and Whitney Horgan, right? I think so. I think so, in yeah. the book, oh, dear Lord. Um, but in, in the book, when they show up uh, and get put in the cop car, they have like a you you get to see the the drive they have. You know what I mean? Like they they get to observe more of the behavior. And I, and from what I remember, yeah, the cockiness just isn't, isn't as prevalent in the book whereas in this they're as soon as they show up they're pretty much like oh you little tin god fuck yeah yeah and it's it's kind of like which is weird because if their side i mean it's weird to say little tin god because if their if their side is real then the other side is too right it's just as much of a threat but yeah they're very they're very cocky from the beginning so i mean like i said i think it's because i've seen it so many times it is by no means a deal breaker for me because i still always love watching this fourth episode but yeah i definitely think how they they handle the uh, complexities of good and evil is not as effective in the book. Well, and, and also in the book, they, Glenn talks a lot about how they might be putting their faith into nothing, you know? Whereas right. in this, I feel like they're confirming with you so early that Mother oh, Abigail's yeah. way is, is the right way. Whereas in the book, it actually becomes an interesting theological argument. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I get it. They just don't have time to go into that here. So, yeah. Yeah, but I do think it's like there are very deliberate choices that are made. And King mm-hmm. wrote the script, which I don't know. It's it's weird to me that he would write it this way because it's not just um, the sense of preordination. It's not just the hand of God, right? It's it's uh, it's and like, but there is a moment when Stu calls it Mother Abigail's God, and he's like, it's his business or whatever. And I thought that was interesting because that's more in line with the book where it's like, well, we put our faith in what she believed in, right? But then, like, as soon as they get to Vegas, especially, um, like, Larry and Ralph and Glenn are just suddenly, like, evangelicals. Like, they all hold hands. They're like, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. And then Ralph is like, Randall Flagg is an apostate of hell. And then, uh, and then, um, when they're in the jail cell and they hear Glenn get shot and like they take hands and then they're, they start doing the Lord's prayer. They're like our father who art in heaven, you know? It's, hey man, it's their, uh, it's their Christian heart. I know. I know. That's not, and, that and, that, yeah, that just is, kills when, me. That scene. I just, ugh. I know well, when the hand of, when the hand of God does come out too, don't they say something like behold his glory? Like, uh, he says amazing grace. Like, quoting scripture. Yeah. yeah. He says amazing grace. And, uh, let me see. I think I wrote it down. Um, yeah. Well, and then you hear Mother Abigail's voice. She's like, the promise mm-hmm. has been kept and God has willed it. And the yep. idea that you hear her voice there proves in a way that, you know, yeah, she's in heaven now and she's with the angels she's and God and she's guiding everything. She's in heaven now. In heaven now. Sorry, we're quoting Nathan for you. And I, then, yeah, uh, but I, I, oh, and then I, Ralph has line where he's like, you propose nothing in the sight of God. You know, it's like I was just I was marking all these things down because I don't I feel like that. Like, maybe it comes from Ralph because Ralph is, like, a Christian character in the book. You know, he's a country boy. But it's, like, I don't feel like it's like that for the rest of it. And those lines and those moments have become so heavily, like, played up um, to the point where it is this sort of spiritual righteousness that I find uh, just, I don't know. I mean, I, I find that it 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 distills the nuance and sort of the themes. And it just mm-hmm. simplifies the story in a way that I think um, really hurts it, you know? Well, it feeds into what I was saying before with the smugness. I think it's very, it, it's just, uh, it's so one-sided and kind of only just exacerbates my feelings of why I feel like no one, that, 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 that sort of fatalism that comes into so many of the characters where it's like, you know, you're either one with God or you're, you know, you're against them. And it, it reads in feels like a parable by the end of this and it's impossible to see those scenes and not see it 
like as like a Christian movie, like a, or like like what is the difference between you know this and like Touched by an Angel at that point? Um, and and there isn't. I mean, it's it's literally the same sort of teachings and the same sort of um, uh, like morals that are being conveyed, and um, a lot of the same obvious scriptures that they go to. Um, and I, I, it is curious that King did make those choices because he is the one that actually wrote, like wrote the screenplays, as you mentioned. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it was maybe if it was ABC that kind of wanted that a little bit more or that <laughs> there seemed to be a little bit more of like a mainstream culture or acceptance of Christianity. I mean, we're coming off of the 80s, which was, you know, a high point of the Reaganism era, which obviously is a conservative culture, uh, which is going to have ties to Christianity and God and, you know, and all that stuff. But even when you look at back at the early nineties in which ABC television, like really ruled the waves, um, it's so ingrained in like Christian was like, t- values. Was Touched by an Angel on ABC? I don't remember if it may. I know, I, but I know see. Full House was and like Full House is like filled <laughs> with all that shit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you guys think though? By the end, do you think Larry is a Christian rocker? Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, he's just like our God is an awesome God. Oh. Baby, can you dig your God? He's a righteous yeah. God. Yeah. He's like, yeah, um, yeah. I think, but you know, Mike, what you're saying about the the smugness, it, 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 and you know, I don't want this to come across as disdainful of Christians. You know, my wife's a Christian. I was one for a long time, and it's it's, uh, but you know. The thing is, there is an inherent smugness to Christianity. I mean, there is to pretty much any religion, but it's like, you know, the whole point of believing in the Bible is believing that, you know, it's it's preordained. Christ wins, you know, and Christ is correct. And that is just some that is something that is is baked into Christianity. It is a it is a firm sense of rightness. You know, I am right. And and like I said, that's true pretty much any organized religion but it's like uh dan both dan's you neither of you were on the last episode i don't think right it was uh or the stand part three no it was yeah so because we yeah we talked a lot about then about sort of those those first meetings in the boulder free zone and uh and like when they this was something we talked about a lot which is like they sort of uh focus on this painting you probably you guys you probably remember it i i feel like caffrey you you especially would but there's like a painting of like settlers arriving like in mm-hmm. colorado right and it's this whole idea of like manifest destiny and it's presented as such like a rebuild america kind of thing and 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 that sort of ties into the general idea that um these are like the new settlers like moses has led them to this promised land you know and it it to me is is it just feeds larger into that idea of of uh of you know christianity order versus chaos because you know we never get the scene in vegas where we see you know in a public uh, organized meeting, which, you know, in the book, they absolutely had. I mean, it was a totalitarian state, but it was like, it's like, you don't get that moment where everyone's gathered and, you know, flag is up there uh, saying, oh, you know, I'm a little nervous. Uh, uh, bear with me. And then Lloyd yells, we will, Randall. <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will, Randall. <laughs> and then uh, Tra- Trashy Man goes, I'm on this. Hey, hey, I'm on this. <laughs> hey, I'm on this. And so, I don't know. I think that, to me, it's it's such an out... And I mean, you know, this was 1994, but it's such an outdated idea. Because for me, I think what's really fascinating about spirituality, and especially Christianity, is that it does 
like the promise of salvation and the promise of a perfect God is something that draws a lot of really troubled people. You know, it doesn't just draw good hearted people no. like a lot of people who are really fucked. I mean, I know this cause I was in that world for a long time. A lot of people who are really fucked up and, you know, struggling with a lot of really dark desires, they go to God because they think it will fix them. And those are the kind of people who probably would have ended up in Boulder and like, and you know, like it explores that in the book, the idea that there's, that there's drunks there, there's drug addicts there, you know, because uh, it's those people who think they need God the most, you know, it's more like the people that would be in Vegas would be the more intellectual set, you know what I mean? It oh, would, okay. it wouldn't be a bunch of bikers and it wouldn't be, you know, a bunch of random like sleaze bags with Uzis in their hands, you know, it would be like college professors. And so, um, I find that interesting, uh, and it's something that that just ultimately really sullies uh, the stand for me. Because, and then the hand of God obviously is the is the cherry on top of it all. Because it's literally, you know, we see it form into a hand that grabs the thing, like right as Mother Abigail says, like, you know, you done good, boys. Or and then she's like, come on home, you know. So it's like, come to heaven, <laughs> and that's how I well, always interpreted it, you know. Uh, and that's what I'm actually most interested to see with this new remake is how they conceptualize Vegas and like who's going to be in Vegas like is Josh Boone and who you know the whole writers room that they put together which I believe includes Owen King if I'm not mistaken yeah yeah um, Owen King's part of it are they going to sort of contend with uh you know modern society's uh viewpoints and and on like religion and what like uh spirituality and uh, religious like uh beliefs have kind of done with society I mean it's it's been spun somewhat in a negative light, especially with like, um, you know, and and to both sides, good and evil. I mean, I, I for the most part, I'm I'm an atheist. I don't I'm not huge on on religion. I'm I'm very against it for the most part. But I do I think it's impossible to show that like you know there's a lot of bad that has come from like um uh so some sort of like you know religious viewpoints and like where it's taken a lot of people over the last twenty years, especially in the media. And I'm wondering how they're going to present that in the movie. Um, or in the in the new miniseries, like, are they really gonna? I, I doubt it's gonna be all in like this. I mean, I, no, I, I, not I at just all. Can't imagine that. Like, no, um, I think that public sentiment towards uh, uh, Christianity has shifted a lot, and especially now. Um, it's become, and I say this again, I'm, I'm not like sitting, I'm, I'm not sitting here like saying Christians are dumb or anything like that. It's oh, just no, that, no, not, no. and I, I know you guys don't think I'm more speaking to the listeners. Like, cause we had a guy who was like yelling at us on Facebook for being, he said like constant Christian bashing, which I thought was interesting, um, uh, which <laughs> I, I think is bizarre, but I know. And so, um, but I just, you know, I see spirituality as a, as, as like a really fascinating, especially Christianity is like a really fascinating philosophical topic that I love to discuss because I spent so much time in it but for me it's like um it's uh it's i think in the new one uh, the the thing is is like evangelicalism has become so deep and i don't want to get into a big political discussion i know our listeners don't like it but uh evangelicalism was already um devalued in so many ways by the bush presidency uh but now it's like to watch them bend to the will of Donald Trump, watch the evangelical community bend to the will of Donald exactly. Trump has been has been so embarrassing. And uh, like because it just shows like the complete, um, you know, if morality is sort of a backbone of that community, the way that uh, it went from rigid to flimsy as we went from Obama to Trump, you know, it's like it's a very it's very transparent and uh, very empty sort of thing. And so I and I think that, you know, in liberal Hollywood, as they say, um, I really don't think the writer's room would be would be emphasizing Christian values here. I think that and I, I think especially, you know, Josh Boone seems like a smarter filmmaker than that. Um, 
um, I think that they would probably embrace. And having 10 episodes, too, I think, you know, it gives them a little bit more time to contend with that. And I imagine uh, they'll probably lean a little bit more into sort of the arguments presented by uh, Great Kinnears, you know, by... um, by Glenn Bateman. So yeah. I don't know. I, that's where I'm thinking. And I, and also, you know, TV's become more prestigified like, uh, over the years, even CBS all access. Uh, I think that they're less beholden to, uh, catering to the lowest common denominator. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be funny if like the Boulder free zone really does keep to Christian values and it's like, sorry, no gay people, <laughs> <laughs> no Jewish people. This is, <laughs> from Mother Abigail. Oh, but, man, that is, um, I was that gonna, is very funny. I, I was going to put out a suggestion. How about we modernize the cast and instead of Ratman, we have Tiger King. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, it, there's a world where I could see some studio doing that. Like, oh, we got fucking Joe Exotic to play <laughs> Ratman. Like, he's trying to get into acting now. He totally fits. He's this really eccentric character. I mean, seriously, like, they do shit like that all the time. Like, oh, I know. I love uh, that. That's so Joe funny. Uh, speaking of speaking of really dumb things, I wish that they did. Uh, I was because I was I was you know wrapped up in all the Christian stuff when I was when I was. Uh, when I was working, when I was taking notes and watching this. And so like, you know, once we got to the scene where uh, Nick, uh, Nick's ghost like comes and visits Tom, which is as hokey as it is, I still find to be kind of a sweet scene. Um, yeah, and I've been seeing a lot. yeah, I just said, <laughs> what if Nick like emerged from the light and he was like an angel with a halo and like a white robe? <laughs> yeah, he's got like, a <laughs> I'm in heaven now. <laughs> Well, do you think the fact that when Nick goes to visit Mother Abigail, he can hear? Do you think Tom can spell? Uh, well, he has to, to, you know, he's got to look for a, a, a moxicillin or whatever. whatever, or whatever. Moxicillin, yeah. yeah. To cure that shit. Um, and then, uh, well, and then also... I just, I, I think I was feeling a little bit loony. I'm looking at my notes and laughing uh, when we got to the end because obviously the end is very funny because we get uh, Stu and Tom showing up um, at the Boulder Free Zone. Stephen King welcomes them. Uh, it's Stu! And then um, he tells them that Franny's sick and everything. And then they go. And then, but then we get the scene with uh, Mother Abigail's hovering ghostly face over the baby cooing at it. We get the, the assemblage of dead people, the montage, and... Uh, and I, in the midst of all that, when I'm supposed to be feeling emotion, I just, I wrote down, what if Stu forced uh, Franny to go? Because the baby's last name is Goldsmith. And I'm like, what if Stu showed up and just made her call the baby Redmond? <laughs> like, just a total hassle. <laughs> well, honestly, when they, when they, when Stu shows back up, and and Teddy Stephen King's character is really nervous to tell him about the baby being sick. Like Stu, Stu looks like he's gonna fucking kill him. <laughs> like he's like, <laughs> like he grabs he like grabs Stephen King by by the, the collar and is like, oh, say it, Teddy. <laughs> like it's out. And so no, I, I could see Stu doing that, but reinforcing the patriarchy. He's like, yeah. he's like, no, no baby of mine's gonna be a sissy. <laughs> <laughs> My baby now. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, and then, but just even that final bit with Mother Abigail, like, looking down at the baby and everything and showing up, it's so, like, that's, I remember thinking it was cheesy even when I was a kid, and it just also reinforces this whole concept that she was right all along, Flag was wrong all along, you know what I mean? And and I think that that's something I just love about the book, is that uh, Mother Abigail is a much more um, complicated, uh, troubled Mm -hmm. figure, you know, so. I just laugh every time 
the rewatch especially when you just see the dog look up it's just so insane <laughs> like, i mean i know there's always that talk of dogs being more perceptive the animals knowing and seeing spirits but holy fuck does it look lame like it, it's like it's like a the beach boys on full house uh, or like urkel with space <laughs> like just so fantastical like why is this here <laughs> i don't know it, it, what, it's what, very, i wish like, my love like, had a cameo but also like the transition from like seeing Mother Abigail and then the fallen make no real sense. Like it's like, <laughs> why are we seeing these clips other than just strictly for like emotional fuel? Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, she's saying the baby's gonna be OK. And here's an obituary reel. Like, no, there's no reason for it. I mean, it's I don't know. It's it's such, it preys so much on the emotions and it's so saccharine. And it, that's the one part that still just gets worse and worse with each rewatch for me. Um I, I think too. Anytime I see a dog like, you know, perk its head up or do whatever, I just always think of Billy Madison. The spook for yourself, moron. Yes. Just like the, <laughs> it's like, oh my god, that's hard. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, uh, any other things that stand out uh, that maybe we haven't had a chance to touch on yet? I funny, I, I, we'll silly, s- bizarre. I, I, I will. I'll go back to like being positive because I was really negative um, in that run there, but. What I can say is that, like, when you want to talk about, like, the scope of this miniseries, like, this uh, this chapter especially really gets at that. Like, those shots of, like, Colorado with the mountains and WG Snuffy Walden's, like, score playing are just gorgeous. It's, like, the reason why I go to these – I go to this miniseries again and again. Like, they're, like, nice reminders of, like, yeah, there there is, like, really genuine, like, filmmaking here, especially for television at this point. So – those opening shots with them, like when you finally go back to uh, the four that are, you know, making the stand, really great and, and affecting and some of the best parts of uh, Walden's score, I feel. Yeah, the locations well, yeah. in general is such a huge, is such a huge um, uh, positive for this entire series. I mean, going back to the first part and Larry being in Central Park, you know, and uh, but then also just the the grandeur of, you know, the road scenes and all of that, I think is like and, you know, Mick Garris talked about that in our interview about, you know, traveling to these locations. And I think that is one of the the biggest strengths of this entire miniseries. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I I love that. We only hear it a little bit, but that, yeah, the acoustic theme Walden has the like that. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, what else do you guys got? Any final thoughts before we give our nose grades? Ooh. Oh, oh, forgot we were giving it. Uh, oh, yeah. We're we're after four <laughs> episodes. It's time to give our noses. And I don't remember what we gave it uh, when we did our episode previously. So um, maybe it will have changed. Uh, listeners, if you have the episode at the ready, please tell us if our if our noses do change. So. Um, so who wants to start? Who wants to give a nose? Why don't we start with Mike Rothman? Oh no. Um, okay. I, I, I'm kind of, uh, at a loss here because I, I don't want to go too low and I don't want to go too high. So I think I'm just gonna go straight three. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot going for this, uh, even for just cast, you know, per, you know, for the performances alone, I think are enough to kind of carry even just the, the weaker parts of this mini series. Um, I think you always, as you have to do with anything in, in, in cinema or pop culture, like really think back to like the context of the situation. Like this is 1994. This is pretty outstanding television that we're seeing here. And, um, you know, at a time when so many productions, even like the biggest blockbuster productions are filmed on like fucking sets and remanufactured cities in like downtown 
Atlanta and it just looks so fake. There's something really um, uh, jarring even, uh, God, 20 something years later, 26 years later to see like actual real locations. Like the fact that they're actually on highways, they're, you know, in downtown Las Vegas, they are in Central Park. Like that is something that's so like it feels unprecedented now because nobody does that anymore. Everyone, it's just like, I mean, fucking Spider-Man is the hero of New York and none of the new movies are even filmed there. And it's just kind of wild. So that alone for me, just kind of gives it uh, a nose rating, but you know, love Ray Walston, love Gary Sinise, love Walden. Uh, one of my favorite scores, Sammy made the joke <laughs> while we were watching uh, last night's chapter um, saying, you know, when I watched this for the first time, I never thought that I'd hear this score probably 30 different times in my life. And, <laughs> and, I, and I, it's like, because, or wake up to the score because literally you wake, you, like I use it to write with, like when I'm writing news in the morning, it's just kind of nice, especially some of the tracks that aren't, a, you know, trash man going to Vegas and the titular track. But um, I like the, the sort of, yeah, exactly. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. it does go on and I'm just like, I'm like, it's so loud. It's just, it hurts my ears. But um Anyway, yeah, that that I, I, the stands kind of a weird uh, lifestyle movie for me because of the score itself. So anyway, all that to say, three noses, uh, bright and red, and uh, straight from an abandoned factory uh, that uh, <laughs> that the workers are hunched over uh, as they're making them because um, they're dead. Um, oh yeah. Well, since you mentioned that, I forgot that I, I, this is my customary moment in every episode Mm -hmm. where I bring up, uh, dumb positions people died in. And, and so I'll fold this into my nose ranking, but there was a scene where there were diner people, dead people in a diner with plates still half filled with food. That means (laughs) that these people went to go eat. They were halfway through their meal and they all died at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get past that. It drives me crazy. I, don't know. I, I, I still, I still like it. It's like the oh, they just think they have the regular own flu right till the very end. So hey, man, I'm, I'm all in on it. <laughs> yeah, but by it. then they, they, they know that there's a super flu out there. <laughs> like, why would you yeah, go I'm to on death's door? Man. Let's go to Nan's diner and get, get a burger. <laughs> uh. Um. So. Yeah, I think I I have such an affection for this miniseries overall. I love to hate it, um, but I think mostly I I, I just love it. And um, but it is fun, you know. I watched the the first part with my wife, and it was fun to kind of get her thoughts on it as somebody who was fresh to it and never engaged with it, but had read the book. And even though she wasn't horribly impressed with it, she at the same time still got a lot of you know found a lot of horror just in the general idea of of a pandemic wiping off the earth. So I think that speaks to sort of the innate power of the stand. Um, but for me, I think that there's a lot of great performances in here. I think Gary Sinise is incredible. Ray Walston's incredible. Jamie Sheridan's incredible. Um, performances that I have just a huge affection for. And I remember very fondly. And I think the, and it's, you know, a lot of what you said, Dan, like, even though I can have a lot of gripes with, with how certain adapt cho- adaptation choices were made, it never really hurts it for me. Uh, this is, uh, six and a half hours, seven hours that goes down really smooth for me. And a lot of that has to do with nostalgia, but a lot of it has to do too with just sort of the, you know, epicness of it all. I mean, uh, I love a good epic ensemble piece and I feel like, um, you know, in the, in the broad sense, it's such a huge swing. And I think for the most part, uh, you know, he knocked it out of the park, Mick Garris. So, uh, but a lot of things that still I struggle with, I think I'm going to have to go with 3.5 bright red Pennywise clown noses. So, uh, Dan Flieger, how about you? 
so I love this movie. I'm going to say that right away. Um, I think it's also because I saw it when I was younger, and it just I've revisited over the years. And despite all the cheesiness, um, Mike and I were kind of talking about this the other day, where it brings me back to this time period of my childhood, this innocence of the early 90s. There's a very can-do attitude. We had not yet, you know, the terrors of 9-11 had not befallen us, as Mike said. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just, it's it just like kind of what Randall said. It's, it's very long, but it goes down smooth. It, it's, I will always watch it if it's on TV or if I'm just like going through YouTube and I pick a scene. I always have to click forward and watch a few more scenes. Um, and I think just when you have good writing and a good story, even more than the writing, you're going to have something that's enjoyable to watch. And I think this is a good story. You know, good versus evil. How could you not fall for it? I give it four and a half. Right Whoa! Ooh, Pennywise man, noses. damn dog, man. Uh, how about no you, Catherine? No need for the rat man to forgive you because he likes <laughs> everything. Yeah. Um, the rat man appreciates cinema. <laughs> wait, wait, wait we're, we're, this is for the whole series, right? Not just the four yeah. Episodes. This is for the whole show. Yeah, I'm, uh, you, you guys all cover it. I mean, I, it's going to be one of those things I will never get sick of watching this movie, even with all the cheese. And, and I don't know. I even though we're ragging on some of the more dated things and the, the Christian heart of the movie. Um, I also sort of have an affection for that too, because like you said, it was pre golden age of television. It, it definitely feels like a period piece. It feels of its time. And on top of that, I love a lot of the performances. I love the direction. And I think they have a re- they actually have some genuinely horrifying sequences, which is hard to do. I think, especially on network television. Um, I am going to go with, Four bright red Pennywise clown noses. Um, so, so with all of us, so between Fleegers four and a half, my well, four, I have one more. Um, because uh, uh-huh. Jen Jen Adams, uh, who was on the episode, uh, she oh, submitted shit, oh, shit. her rating and she said four. There's probably a lot of nostalgia Oof. in that, but it's what my gut says and it's what made me a constant reader. So, Ooh, yeah, that's same with too. me. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the stand and I read the I saw the movie before I read the book. The stand was really the I think the. I, I had been exposed to a little bit of other King, but that that was really the one that made me realize how how talented he was and how epic it is. So, I mean, I don't know, man. We well, get wow. Can I, mean, I say, that's leaning toward four. Can I say I I added up all of our yeah. scores and it equals nineteen. Whoa! Whoa. Shit. Wait, are you serious? Like, oh yeah, wow! I was gonna average them, um, but yeah. Then when you add up all five of those, it becomes nineteen man. for an average of three point eight. Yeah, I think I think, I think, I think, I think that round uh, up to four. We should round up to 20 then instead of 19. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just ruin it. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of serendipitous and pretty cool. Um, well, hey, this was fun. This was a, a, a huge endeavor on part of the podcast uh, to actually break down all parts of the stand. We're still in quarantine. Uh, Captain Trips is still uh, tearing up. Uh, America as we know it. I think this is going to be an interesting. It's tearing it up. <laughs> the ripping and the tearing. The ripping and the tearing. I think this is going to be an interesting document years from now as we look back on this time. And um, I'm glad that we did it. And I'm glad that you, our Patreon subscribers, are the ones who can listen to it. Um, thank you again so much for being with us. Uh, next week, well, actually, uh, we have also dropped this week, as you probably have seen, uh, first part of a two part. Uh, review of If It Bleeds. This is not going to be kind of a traditional book episode, but more of a roundtable review um, with spoiler-free and then maybe a little bit of spoiler discussions. Um, But we'll obviously tell you when 
we are spoiling things um, about if it bleeds the stories in there and sort of the connection to the Holly as it exists within King, because like it or not, Holly Gibney ain't going away. So uh, we're going to be discussing those oh, things. <laughs> I know it's the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've also got Dolores Claiborne uh, coming up, which we're going to have a special guest on for, which is going to be exciting and really excited to dig into that book. That is a, a really interesting reread. And we'll be talking about the movie as well. So lots of fun stuff on the horizon. Um, this has been great. And uh, I think it's time to say goodbye, everyone. So long days and, and pleasant, pleasant, pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. I got, I got some hot friends.